It turns out you can be nerdy about more stuff than just comic books, movies, and TV. What are our non-nerdy nerddoms? Stick around to find out in this week's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, nerds, welcome to a new episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast, episode 126. I am Dave. I'm here with my buddy Chris. And this week, we're going to dive into some non-nerdy nerddoms. What are some non-comic book movie TV uh, related things? Getting away from sci-fi and fantasy. What are the things that we really nerd out for? But before we get into this week's Byword Big Talk, it is time for... Chris, I was really hoping I wouldn't have to talk about this, but uh, you are reliable, if nothing else. <laughs> okay, so um, as of the time of this recording, we are wrapping up New York Comic Con, and one of the big new and noteworthy things that debuted during this time was the uh, debut of the trailer for the upcoming Super Mario Brothers movie, um, which features stunning, absolutely state-of-the-art animation, so realistic, so lifelike, um, if you can make that so in an animated sense, has a pitch-perfect uh, interpretation of Bowser by Jack Black, the legend himself. Uh, just the, the humor is on point. And then we go to Mario. And um, it's literally just Chris... Pratt's regular voice. There's no voice acting at all. It's just his regular speaking voice. Um, so it, of course, set the internet ablaze, uh, saying things like David Wellens, uh, why, why does Mario have Sonic's voice? <clears throat> uh, Circle Tunes HD says you could tell Jack Black put a ton of love and heart into his Bowser voice while Chris Pratt just uh, spoke. Um, uh, Megan Farouk-Manish said, holy S-H-I-T, it literally is just Chris Pratt's voice. Um, and then now the new meme of Mario clutching his chest says, me listening to Chris Pratt's voice come out of Mario's mouth. So there's a lot to be excited about this movie. We didn't get a lot of Charlie Day as Luigi, which I'm excited to see. Uh, Keegan-Michael Key sounds really cool as Toad, but the star character at the center of this film leaves much to be desired. I am not interested in dabbling into the whatever you want to call it around Chris Pratt. I don't care about any of that at this moment. It is just so uninspired a casting when the rest of the cast around him seems fantastic and so inspired to just have that plopped into a voice acting slot where it could have been, as we were talking, uh, a, an expert, uh, you know, character actor that that truly like tones their craft. Somebody already like edited the video in less than twenty four hours with the original Mario voice actor, um, so it just leaves a whole lot to be desired. And you know, with this animation especially, it's just really, really disappointing. I think. Yeah, so this news story once again got me called a dick online. So thanks, Nintendo fandom. All because I didn't clutch my pearls like it was going out of style. So uh, my reaction to Chris Pratt's Mario voice is meh. Um, I'm certainly not standing over here clutching my pearls or, or screaming, you know, heresy. But then I'm from a I'm from a very different, you know, Nintendo fandom generation. Um so, you know, I, I grew up with like, you know, the Super Mario Brothers, uh, Super Mario Brothers Super Show, right? Uh, um, and, and that was a very different sounding Mario than what we've, uh, as Nintendo fans, gotten used to over the last, you know, 20 plus years uh, since Charles Martinet took over um, uh, voicing Mario in the video games. You know, before that video game, Mario didn't have much of a voice, um, like, at all. Uh, and so the only Marios we got were basically like big screen Bob Hoskins. Uh, yeah. rest in peace, dude. Uh, 
<laughs> because that 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 movie should have killed your career. Um, and then we had, we had you know stuff like the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, you know, and that's you know that was a very different kind of approach. Oh yeah, and then there was like the the horribly voiced uh, CDI games. Um, I, I remember a Hotel Mario, something about that's a spicy meatball or something like that. I mean, it was really like over the top, you know, Italian stereotypes. Um, so I'm not, you know, completely like, oh my God, it's the worst thing ever. I think it is uninspired. I think that, uh, you know, if you're going to cast Chris Pratt, you should be bringing something interesting to the table. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing ever like some people are acting. Is it different from, you know, the voice that we've gotten used to from Charles Martinet? Well, absolutely. I, I think, um, I don't know. I mean, there's arguments online even about like whether that voice is sustainable over a 90-minute runtime rather than in short snippets. I don't know that. I'm not a professional voice actor. Um, or whether it would have gotten, you know, would have gotten grading. I don't know about that either. Certainly Gru is a thing. And that voice you would think would get grading after a while, but somehow that works. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm not, you know, freaking out about it. I think the bigger issue and one that is much more um, big picture is is simply that once again, we're having a major animated feature voiced entirely by celebrities, celebrities of some kind or another rather than professional voice actors. That I find um, extremely frustrating. Um, I think voice actors, pro voice actors, get very, very little credit for the kind of work that they do. And I think Hollywood has gotten, especially in, in the last oh, 15, 20 years or something, they've gotten to the place where they think they can swap in random celebrity for a professional voice actor. Would I have much rather had Charles Martinet voice Mario here? Absolutely. And I think Martinet is a talented enough guy that he may have done something a little different even from what he does in the games. Um, he, he's a very, very talented dude. Um, and I think that would have you know, earned a lot of goodwill from Nintendo fans too. Um, but even Jack Black, as much as I love the guy, and he's fantastic as Bowser, don't get me wrong. Um, although I, f- I sometimes feel like Jack Black is a is a is a voice actor like stuck in a celebrity's body or something. Yeah, like he he does very cool stuff with his voice. Anyways, um, I just I would like you know some 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 professional voice actors in here. When I when I think of you know the skill, for example, that goes into voicing you know video games these days, you know you have the huge industry of professional voice actors in the video game business, and Hollywood just is just sitting kind of on their hands, like oh, what celebrity has nothing going on? Kim Kardashian, and let's cast her as somebody, you know, like it seems really strange that they're banking more on name recognition. It's not face recognition because you're not going to see them on the name recognition of random celebrities voicing characters rather than saying we're going to get the best, most professional voice actors in here that sound best in these roles. And I think that's really the problem that we should be talking about, not Chris Pratt. We should be talking about how underappreciated voice actors like, you know, Charles Martin at R, like, you know, Ashley Birch. You know, these people are really, really, really strong voice actors um, and, and Hollywood doesn't really take notice of that. They rather cast random celebrity number 42 in animated features. And that that bugs me, man. Yeah, that's why I was so happy to see Tara Strong make her way into the MCU as Miss Minutes and Loki, because like she's like you'd be hard pressed to find a more iconic voice actor than Tara Strong. Um, Absolutely. You know, I'm a fan of the um, the, the Super Mario show of is as bonkers as it was, but like even you had a character, and you you say the voice is different, but you had a character like Lou Albano who was it actually had a background in like pro wrestling and stuff, and so like hamming it up for the camera. At least there was something inspired there, and even if it's camp, camp it up. It's it's an Italian plumber created by Japanese people. I mean, like come on, um, who who you know who's Jumping who lives off, in Brooklyn. Yeah, who who jumps off of mushrooms and goes on a trip and and fights you know big evil turtles. I mean, like, come on, you know, like this is not whatever. But yeah, so I just think I, I, I'm right there with you. I I think the world of you know, and I think that's why I think um, you know, like in in our certain sects of nerddom, we have you know such love for for animation and for for veterans of the series. I think of people like Virginia Marshall and Tara Strong, like I said. 
um, uh, Bill Richardson, you know, I, I could go on and on and on with like the veterans, like the, re- the real ones. know. like the, you know, you know, Bill Farmer, you know, is the voice of Goofy. Like, uh, it's just, it's just an underappreciated craft voice acting. And, um, and I, and I think that's probably the most regrettable thing about this entire process. Yeah, and I think animation in general. I mean, we've talked about this already with what's going on with HBO and yes. HBO Max and all yes. that stuff. Animation in general gets um, underappreciated. You have railed many times, you know, against Star Wars fandom ignoring, you know, Rebels because it's a cartoon, you know. And so I'm a huge fan of animation, always have been. Um, and I love a good voice actor. You know, I, I I really appreciate when you bring somebody in who's at, you know, the the top of their craft to, to voice characters um, rather than, you know, a random celebrity. And I think that, as I said earlier, I think that's really the underlying issue we're facing here. It's not the Chris Pratt of it all. You know, it's just random celebrity with name recognition getting jobs that should be filled by talented voice actors. All right, Dave, uh, last week's news story for you was um, quite inspired. What do you got this week? <laughs> well, you know, I like the weird stuff. And I, I, I double-checked even before recording this, and I don't think any um, anybody's picked up on this yet as far as news goes. But by the time you guys are listening to this, I'm sure this conversation is either completely faded away or some news sources have actually picked up on it. But there's been a little bit of a kerfuffle uh, on social media recently uh, regarding uh, composer Lorne Balfi. Uh, so I'm hoping I'm saying his name right. If not, uh, Lorne, I deeply apologize. Uh, mad respect for you. Um, so uh, Balfi is the composer on the upcoming film Black Adam, um, which you know is is kind of starting to hit my radar a little bit, especially with rumors going around that uh, Henry Cavill makes a guest appearance at the end of Superman. Um, so, so obviously that, that's got me a little stoked because I'm a big fan of Cavill as Superman, even if I'm not a big fan of the movies he has appeared in as Superman. Um, so Balfi, uh, got attacked pretty viciously, uh, on social media and actually tried to, and actually tried to respond to it as well. Um, and, and got attacked even more viciously, um, when, uh, the JSA theme, the Justice Society theme, uh, that he wrote for Black Adam, uh, made it out into the wild. And everybody's favorite fandom reared their head, uh, the uh, Zack Snyder fandom, um, many members of which uh, attacked Balfi over a three-note progression that they said rips off, quote-unquote, Junkie XL's uh, compositions for uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, and like I said, Balfi kind of tried to, uh, you know, defend himself and say, listen, man, you know, I didn't really listen to this uh, score for, you know, as inspiration. This, you know, is, uh, it's a cool score and all, but that's not what I'm going for. Um, and uh, that obviously did not fly very well with that particular niche of that particular fandom. Now, uh, some people uh, have stepped forward and discussed, you know, that you know, this sort of three-note progression is oftentimes used. Uh, it pops up in all sorts of compositions. In this particular case, it's used as a bridge between two different sections uh, of the score, um, whereas it was a, a main motif in Junkie XL score of uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. And so we're comparing apples to oranges. But all of those sorts of arguments fell on deaf ears. And so I was just disappointed to see that once again, uh, you know, we have a situation where toxic fans online um actually you know think they have the uh the i don't know the the quote-unquote right i guess to um attack you know a professional composer here because they think that they understand and know music better than a professional composer um all in the name of of a director who for some reason continues not to speak out against that kind of behavior which i don't really quite understand uh there's absolutely no reason why a composer or a director or an actor in any upcoming DC related film should have to put up with having their name dragged through the mud on social media um, just because they happen to work on a movie not directed by Zack Snyder. So it's just, it's disappointing man at this point because uh, from what I've heard of the score so far of Black Adam, it's, it's quite good. Um, And I'm really excited to hear the rest of it. So it's just, 
so, so sad to see a professional composer get dragged through the mud like this. Don't you know that Zack Snyder is a blueprint, Dave? Even for the score? <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, I mean, in, in a world where, you know, a lot of popular artists uh, are sampling older songs from yesteryear in, in, in change of, you know, coming up with a new beat or, or a new sound. I mean, you know, uh, the entire uh, music fandom is now getting rickrolled by the Young Gravy song. So, I mean, like, come on, like we sample songs, we interpolate songs so often that it's become like commonplace and you don't even think about where you've heard something before. A three note progression is nothing. It's 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 negligible. It is a gnat in the air flying and buzzing around. Get over yourselves. You lost. Get over it. Um, <laughs> it, it it's at this point the 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 that certain sect of the fandom is the people here in the South who still fly their Confederate flag saying the South will rise again and you lost. Get over it. It go away. Go away. Um, he's just not that into you. Um, it's over. It's not coming back. We're not restoring anything. Please go away. And the thing is, uh, I think we're going to all have to face facts here that Henry Cavill um, returning to the role of Superman, if these rumors are to be believed, is going to be significant fuel for that particular movement. Because many uh, many of them have already said if Cavill's coming back, then we just need to keep you know harassing and pushing and eventually Snyder will come back too. And I'm not saying that I don't want Cavill back in the role. I do. I think that Cavill generally, um, he genuinely loves Superman. And I think, you know, given given the right uh, creative direction, I think he could be one of the all-time greats as far as Superman actors. Um, but I just it I just hate to see that this is going to probably add additional fuel to this kind of behavior online. It's just, man, I just can't believe that we're attacking composers now of, of, of Hollywood movie scores. Like, like, how low can we get? I'm the biggest Henry Cavill fan in the world. Um, so I honestly don't care what they say because if he does come back, they're going to say something. If he doesn't come back, they're going to say something. They'll find a way to spin it to whatever little twisted, sick fantasy that they have in their head. So just block and scroll on. That's all I got to say. I just hope that if they actually do bring him back and, and give him another movie as Superman, that uh, of, of all the things that I want them to do at the top of my list is that they make that suit less shiny. That last suit he had there in, in, in Justice League looked like it was made out of like molded plastic. It was like, I mean, you shine a, you shine a light directly on that, you're going to get blinded because that light's going to bounce right back at you. It's just a really weird material for Superman, but maybe that's just me. I'm a, I'm a, matte, I'm a matte finish guy myself. I always love a matte finish. I'm, I'm, I'm right there. I'm right there too. And see, we went this entire news segment without talking about Daredevil on She-Hulk. Love that, love that walk of shame. By the way, love that walk of shame. Yeah, I think I think at some point we're gonna have to maybe just like review the whole She Hulk series or something. Because oh yeah, there's sure. there, there's a lot of moving parts there that I think really uh, need to be discussed. Anyways, let's get out of this nerd news segment. Stick around because when we come back, it's time for our big talk when we talk about our non nerdy nerddoms. What the heck is that? Well, you're about to find out. She Hulk smashed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that Matt Murdock could walk. <laughs> All righty, folks, welcome back. Uh, this is the big honking segment that we're going to be spending a lot of time talking. So buckle in because it's time for... So this week, something a little weird. Uh, Every week, we uh, bring you an episode that somehow relates to nerddom, whether that is sci-fi and fantasy, comic books, movies, and television, the the sort of pop culture nerdiness of it all. But 
this week we wanted to do something a little different. Uh, sit down, pull up a chair. You'll get to uh, get to know Chris and myself a little better as we talk about the kind of things that we are really nerdy for that aren't really traditionally nerdy. The kind of things that we act nerdy about, even if they are not sci-fi or fantasy or comic books or movies or television. The more traditional geekdoms, if you will. And so... Uh, we're going to dive right in. Each of us has selected three things that we really, really love to talk about and that get our nerdy juices flowing. Okay, that sounds gross in hindsight. Um, you still got She-Hulk on the. You still got She-Hulk on the brain. I think so. So let's just dive on in, Chris, with uh, your first non-nerdy nerddom. I uh, I don't want to come across as basic, but I'm I'm a big sports nerd. I uh, I love. The, you know the the major sports um i always have uh i played a little bit growing up but you know being an awkward kid with health issues my coordination my motor skills not being great i've always been a spectator of sports so um you know being from minnesota and then moving here to the south um continuing my fandom for my Minnesota sports teams as disappointing as as, as has become almost like a quirk at this point. Um, it almost feels like a way that I can still have that connection to home. Um, so I'm a fan of my Minnesota sports teams and more recently the Miami sports teams um, as well. Uh, and then I, ever since I started learning Spanish in high school, I kind of um, just kind of latched on to Real Madrid. So I've been a Madridista since I was like 16. Um, soccer, football, as uh, as it should be called, uh, is a re- recently, you know, uh, you know, fandom of mine. I ha- I'm not as plugged in as I'd like to be when it comes to football. World Cup is right around the corner and I can't wait. Um, I, I'll never forget how insufferable you were when Germany won the World Cup. Um, you came back strutting back to school, uh, um, after I'm that. still insufferable about that win, <laughs> especially in that fashion too. Um, yeah, <laughs> on Brazil's home turf, like that was the most demoralizing thing ever. Uh, but yeah, so, um, yeah, I'm a big time sports nerd. Um, it, I play fantasy sports in my free time. I've just, I've just, like against all my better judgment, taking up you know some some sports gambling now that it's legalized in our state. Um, I've only lost like twenty dollars in real money, so I'm pretty proud of that. Um, I'm trying to limit myself. I've never been one to go to the casino or gamble, um, but you know sports is is an incredible fandom of mine. I play sports video games quite often. Yeah, I'm a Madden bro. And um, so, yeah, sports are a big, big passion of mine. And if I'm not reading comic books or, you know, playing video games or, or watching a show or a movie, I'm probably watching sports. I I don't relate to your nerdiness all that much because most sports kind of leave me cold. Um, and I know that is not a horribly popular thing to say, especially in the part of the country where we're living but i like football and i do not connect in any way shape or form um basketball is only semi-interesting i do enjoy baseball but generally speaking only in person live i think there's something really cool about the atmosphere in a stadium um but on tv i don't know if it's like how it's edited or something but it's really boring on tv oh it's it's atrocious Um, it's atrocious yeah yeah, yeah, but the but the thing that really speaks to me, obviously, uh, as you've already hinted at, is soccer. That's the one sport that I do totally nerd out for, and there have been that there have been awkward situations in my home where my wife looked at me like I had lost my marbles because somebody you know made a goal or or, or something like that. I'm probably I I think I make up for my general in lack of interest in other sports by being just extra extreme when it comes to soccer and so I relate a little bit to this um but only really when it comes to soccer and and if memory serves your your allegiance is to Bayern correct uh well my allegiance used to be the Kaiserslautern but they're now uh they they kind of went down into the second league into the minor leagues in Germany um 
I don't know if they've made it back up yet. So you know, the close, the next best best thing is is Bayern Munich. Yeah, uh, they're probably the 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 Yankees, I guess, of German soccer. You could say, you know, the, the most money, the best players, a huge chunk of their players end up on the national team. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably the ones I watch the most. The only two things I know about German football is that. Tony Gross has just been at Real Madrid for forever, and I love him. And uh, Bundesliga is a really fun word to say. That's about it. <laughs> oh, I love saying Bundesliga, too. It never gets old. <laughs> All right, Dave, uh, no surprise here, but what is your first non-nerdy nerddom? Well, so no surprise for the people that that know me, but this might come as a, as, a, as a shock a little bit to people here. I mean, I've talked a little bit before about my love of journalism, especially as it relates to, like, um, you know, Superman and and how, you know, I, I've always liked to write and how I kind of connect with that world a little bit. Um, I've never been a working professional journalist or anything. I've done, you know, a little bit of interviewing here and there, uh, freelance. Um, I've done some writing freelance, but, uh, but never, you know, like pro level, like professional journalist. However, what I do feel extremely passionate about is uh, journalism in schools. Um, I think, um, that that's become a increasingly sort of a, a sore spot for me. How many schools have sort of in, in the name of, you know, I don't know, more STEM programs, you know, more science, technology, engineering, and math. They're kind of start, starting to turn their backs on certain things. Art is one of them. You see less and less art, good art programs in schools. And the other thing is, is you know, scholastic journalism, the idea that students are empowered to, you know, create uh, a broadcast or, or a newspaper or, um, or a yearbook, you know, like actually student control. They they pick the stories, the themes, the the everything, right? They they do the writing, they take the pictures, and they're in complete control, uh, particularly without, you know, censorship uh, from admin or or teachers. Um, and that's very uncomfortable for many adults in schools for some reason, like the the notion that you know kids can freely express their thoughts and opinions um, as long as they you know follow journalistic standards and back them up, you know. Um, and so that's problematic to me that so many people are taking this, this shift in education as a uh, excuse to eliminate, you know, journalistic programs because they're uncomfortable with students having that kind of freedom and being empowered to speak their minds. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really nerdy for uh, students uh, of all you know, ages, middle school, high school in particular, being able to speak their mind about their school life, to to talk to people, to get their opinions, and and to put that out there. And you know, as long as they follow journalistic standards, uh, they they shouldn't be stopped or censored. Yeah, this is a really um, thing that I've I've been passionate about as well. You know, as someone who grew up in writing for my middle school um, newspaper. Uh, in South Dakota, and then then moving here, and and um, still being passionate about that, always being interested. I considered a journalism major, um, but uh, I, I was concerned about the average wage, so I went into teaching, and 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 it was all it was all moot at that point. But um, you know, my daughter is is a beneficiary of your journalism program at our school, and so uh, the irony being that she's even less interested in sports than you are. And she's the sports editor, but um, I guess that gives her a sense of objectivity, perhaps I'm hoping. Um, and so I've always been more than happy to support the d journalism program at our school. Anytime you guys need an interview, I'm like dibs. I, I just, I just love giving our kids that creative freedom to express themselves. I love looking at the cartoon section. I love looking at, um, I usually fast forward to, uh, the reviews page. I think it's usually like the second to last page, uh, just kids reviewing video games or, or books that they've read. I think it's just cool to let kids be completely free in their expression. <clears throat> I think it's healthy. And I think, um, you know, as, as someone who now teaches, <clears throat> as someone who now teaches career exploration and getting uh, you know kids ready for the working world i think that journalism um in particular is a great asset for preparing these kids for the real world for you know doing job interviews i recently did mock interviews with my class um and you know you could you know draw a direct relation to the kids who had worked with the journalism program 
um, to the kids who were very well prepared for their job interviews. And so I think that this is a vital, vital thing, even if they don't pursue a professional career in journalism to prepare them for, you know, the future at large. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of critical thinking skills, especially that go into that about, you know, justifying your thoughts and opinions and, and doing the research, you know, uh, putting your nose to the grindstone, so to speak. And that sort of skills, I know that's what education really, I think, uh, is supposed to be all about. It's supposed to be all about, um, you know, transferable skills, things that, uh, you know, kids can learn and they can use in in all walks of life, you know, no matter what they're going to do. And so, yeah, you know, I, I think this is a really, really important thing, and I wish more schools would still uh, support it. One of, one of the the most transformational and inspirational teachers that I had was my AP English teacher, and and he said something, and this was, gosh, I've coming up on fifteen years, over fifteen years out of high school, and one of the things that that he said in our intro syllabus that stuck with me, and one of the reasons that I chose to be a teacher. Um, after bouncing around a couple of majors was that I am, I am not simply a talking head for you to recite things. That is not the educational process. It is an exchange of knowledge. And I think that things like student journalism is paramount to, to similar things when it comes to education. All right, let's switch gears a little bit uh, and get to your next uh, non-nerdy nerddom. What you got? All right, this should come as no surprise to people who know me, um, but culture and language um, are probably one of my biggest nerddoms, even even in comparison to um, pop culture, uh, traditional nerdy things, because it's kind of um, it's kind of an interfluid mix of the two. Um, when it comes to me choosing favorite characters in comics or video games or something, it's usually someone who comes from a different culture than my own, or speaks a different language of my own, um, or if both, even better. Um, I have just always been fascinated with everything to do, almost like anthropology as a whole. And it'll tie into my third and final non-nerdy nerddom of why people are the way that they are, like just different walks of life. I've always been thrilled and fascinated with diversity. I've never wanted to see carbon copies of one another I, I always want to celebrate differences because it makes everything more interesting. I think it tells the best stories. I think it makes the best movies. It, it makes the best games. Um, and so I've always been fascinated by cultures. Um, right now, currently, I'm, I'm diving deep into South Asian culture with, you know, um, the, the, the home run that was the Miss Marvel series, reading Kamala Khan's uh, comics, um, reading the many deaths of Layla star, more to come into that and a future nerd commendation. Um, and then just language and, and the comparison of the two and the inspirations of those language, you know, my background being in Spanish, um, and being fluent in both English and Spanish was not enough for me. I, I have like a 300 day streak going on Duolingo right now, learning Italian at the moment, but like, it sways every couple of months. Like I'll switch up to German or I'll switch to Danish or I'll switch to Dutch. Like um, I'm not as brave with Eastern languages because it's a whole new alphabet that I have to learn. But um, if I can get like a proto linguistic, you know, whatever uh, that that's easy enough for me to read, I'll, I'll go with it. I, I just think it's such a fascinating reflection of who we are as people. Um, the culture and the language surrounding that um, so much so that like the, I, I did an entire X of words episode with Ash on, on what I want to see from Krakoan language and Iraqi, Iraqi language. Um, it's just fascinating to me. And I think it tells so much about people um, and civilizations that I, I just can't ever get enough. Yeah, see, um, I understand that particular fascination. I'm, I'm big into, you know, learning about other cultures as well, particularly uh, because that ties in with uh, both of our um, last non-nerdy nerddoms. Um, but language I've always struggled with. Um, and I know that sounds weird coming from somebody who's bilingual, but, you know, I was I was raised bilingual. I acquired two different languages as I acquired language. And so it, this has just always kind of been a part of me. Um, it's not, you know, what, for example, you had to do by, you know, sitting down and actually, you know, 
studying a language deeply and really getting into it and learning how to speak it from the ground up. I never, I never, never really had to do that. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm probably not as nerdy about language as you are. Um, but I do appreciate a good, uh, a good cultural exchange of information. All right, Dave, uh, what is your second non-nerdy nerddom? Yeah, so uh, what a time to be this guy, right? Uh, my second non-nerdy nerddom is uh, political science. Um, it was my, my minor in, uh, in college, um, on my undergrad degree. Um, and I have a real fascination with um, politics, how, how politics works. And I'm, I want to be clear that it's not just within this country, although this country certainly has fascinating politics. Um, but I studied foreign political systems as well. Um, you know, how do, you know, governments in various other countries operate? I, uh, follow elections in other countries, uh, pretty carefully. And, and what is the dynamic there? Um, and you know, why did the f- recent French election shake, uh, shake out the way it did, you know, um, as of this recording, we're heading for a runoff in the in the Brazilian election. I think that is a really interesting situation uh, going down there. Um, I I'm an aficionado of reading various you know uh, constitutions and basic law and and how you know the government is supposed to operate under the you know any given constitution or set of laws, um, and and that does include uh, you know this country as well. In fact, I uh, you know used to carry around a little pocket-sized U.S. Constitution in my uh, in my jacket as a way of you know throwing it in people's faces and winning arguments because it's shocking how few people in this country actually have read the U.S. Constitution. Um, and so, obviously, uh, you know this is a really really harsh time uh, to be a aficionado of political science. Um, in in the United States, because there's a lot of political fraughtness, a lot of really, really strong division. Um, And so, you know, here I am just wanting to like discuss the minutia of how a particular, you know, mechanism within the government is supposed to work according to, you know, the constitution or previously established precedent. And I'm just bombarded by, you know, people trying to get me to vote their way. And I'm like, I'm, I, that's that's not what I really care about, guys. I care about how things are supposed to work, not not, not how people have been making it work. Um, and so um, my first, uh, after I first moved here, the first um, election, uh, presidential election that I witnessed was uh, election of uh, 2000. And I stayed up. <laughs> what an election to be the first one that you watch, right? Um, I stayed up all night looking for, for there to be a winner to be announced. And then we, we all know, of course, if we were alive at the time, that uh, that ended up actually going all the way to the Supreme Court due to some recount stuff going on in Florida because, you know, Florida. Um, but I was completely fascinated and enraptured by how the system worked. It was the first time seeing it sort of in action. Um uh, you know, live as it unfolds. And I, I, I just, I could not turn away from the 24 seven news cycle of this particular election. I just couldn't, I, I had to see everything happening. And so I nerd out big time about, um, you know, when, when people start talking about government stuff, I'm, I'm literally the guy that's, you know, I'm the well, actually guy when it comes to <laughs> government, you know, like, like people are like, I'm voting for so-and-so because he said he's going to do this. And I'm like, well, actually that doesn't fall under the power of that particular office. And if you really care about that happening, you're going to have to vote for this person over here because their office that they're running for actually has the power to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And then I just, you know, I get booed out of the room. So, there were large swaths of my life where I also was very, very involved in this and very, very passionate and very, very emboldened in this. And then, you know, as you mentioned, living in the United States, uh, particularly these last few years, has has sort of bludgeoned that to death. Um, it has taken all of the goodwill that I th- that I had towards it. I'm still very strong in my belief system, but I'm no longer interested in engaging with uh, the vast majority of people because um, as I heard it, you know, of all places on a sports podcast, um, you know, 10, as little as 10 years ago, you could have an agreed upon set of facts Um. And then, you know, that were placed in the middle of the table, if you will. And then, you know, the opposing sides would argue on how best to approach these facts. 
we are now in the era of truth is a myth. There are no facts. Um, if, if the data, if the facts are not conducive to your personal belief system, you just make it up. And so it is such a fruitless endeavor for me at this point. The only time that I, um, really feel strongly are when I feel that, you know, people's human rights are being, you know, stripped away or violated. So things like, you know, uh, the anti-transgender legislation is something I'm very, very, um, very, you know, staunch in support of trans rights and, and LGBTQ rights and, and, and racial justice and those things I am still very, very much passionate about, but I'm not interested in debate anymore. Yeah. And I see, it's it's funny that you say that because uh, that that is really exactly the problem that that you know I'm facing. There used to be a time, and it's not that long ago, really, uh, even in American politics, where uh, you know people could vehemently disagree on on how to solve a problem and still you know go home at the end of the day as friends. You know, um, so I, I don't know when politics became the one and sole defining trait um for people you know um it's it's very regrettable and it makes it very awkward to be like this this nerdy guy when it comes to politics and 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 how government systems function because you really don't have a venue to let your freak flag fly so to speak um because as soon as you start talking about politics you you are bombarded from people of bo- on both sides of the aisle, really, about, you know, the issues that they deeply care about. And, uh, you know, to some extent, I understand that. But that that's really not the thing that gets me hyped about politics. You know, it's it's the the mechanisms, the functionality, the how, how was this designed, you know, and, and what are the flaws and how how have the flaws been compensated for in the past? What is the precedent? How does precedent change over time? You know, these are the sorts of things I'm fascinated by. Um, and I, I really, really don't feel like having people like yell at me just because I don't, you know, subscribe to their particular political beliefs. I just, you know, want to talk about the mechanism, you know, how this government's supposed to work. They're not interested in your Cicero quotes. You're, you're, you're not too far off because I'm also <laughs> very fascinated in, 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 well, you know, you know what, let, let, let's go there, man. What is your, uh, what is your final, uh, nerdy nerddom? Listen, I don't know how this is going to take shape or take form because we have spoiler, a, an identical third non nerdy nerddom. And it may very well be, you know, my number one, I didn't really list these in a particular order. Um, I absolutely love ancient history. Um, I've teased it a couple of times, um, you know, in previous episodes when we talked about things like the Eternals and seeing ancient Babylon um, and thing and seeing the fall of Tenochtitlan. Um, I think that was even part of what drew me to learning Spanish was, um, you know, the ancient history behind it, behind, uh, you know, the Mesoamerican civilizations was so fascinating to me how, um, in completely different parts of the world, completely different continents separated by an ocean, you had such advanced civilizations like the Egyptians and like the Mayans, you know, we're talking different timelines, but, um, it's still just fascinating to me. So, um, anything, anything, you know, um, renaissance or before i'm absolutely fascinated by um american history uh, similar to political science has been just you know bludgeoned me to death when i moved to the south they only wanted to talk about the civil war and exclusively the civil war i even had uh, a history professor in college from massachusetts who wanted to talk about the civil war and i am so sick about the civil war and everything around it that it has absolutely taken all the passion that i had so much so that i one of the one of the reasons i switched from being a history major but yeah ancient history is in my bag i, I it's probably part of that culture and language that's tied in there i love the etymology and the origin of things like i literally just googled the etymology of nostalgia and and words i i love where they come from the source point i love a good origin story i mean like that's you know part of the reason that we're here we love origin stories so i love seeing reasons i love mythology i love you know mankind's humankind's ability or um uh, process of explaining the cosmos and explaining how things came into being and i love looking 
I'm not a particularly religious person, but I'm a very spiritual person. I like to draw inspiration from many different faiths. Um, I, I, I like looking at and comparing, contrasting major world religions and seeing the similarities between them. Um, I think it's fascinating to me. So ancient history has always been one of my greatest passions ever since I was a young child. And it's funny you say that because I feel exactly the same way. Uh, I was always really fascinated by history. Um, now, obviously, when I was younger, I had a much stronger interest in American history because, you know, I grew up in Germany and it seemed to be a part of my heritage that I was trying to connect with, you know, my father uh, being originally from the United States. I wanted to know more about, you know, the history of this country and the history of these, you know, North and South American general. Um, and, and much like you, uh, living in living in the South here has kind of bludgeoned me to death a little bit with the Civil War. And so my my interest in American history has really faded over time. But my passion you know, about, you know, stuff like ancient Greece and ancient Rome, um, you know, the Persian Empire, um, you know, the the emergence of civilization in Mesopotamian Egypt, um, ancient Chinese civilization, um, the Maya, the Aztec, the Inca, the Olmec, you know, the, the, these sorts of things have been, you know, with me a long time, uh, pun intended. And so, uh, you know, it made sense for me to, you know, major in history because it was probably the thing I felt the most passionate about at that time in my life. And I'm, you know, I was, I've been pretty lucky that I've had the extreme pleasure of actually being able to to teach about those things. You know, um, I've, I've done my, uh, my, my shift in teaching American history, and it is not nearly as much fun as, you know, teaching about uh, ancient civilizations. Um, or, or even to teach about something like the Middle Ages in Europe, you know, the feudal period in, in Japan and samurai and shogun and all that. Um, these are fascinating things to me. And I just, I never tire of them. I always feel like, you know, history is one of those fields where even though, you know, it's all happened already and you, you would think that, you know, your understanding can change or deepen. It does. There's always more to explore and, and, you know, to deepen your knowledge and understanding of a given time period in a given place. And I've never tired of it. And I think I'm, I'm going to be able to pursue this particular nerdy nerddom for the rest of my life and still only scratch the surface of the kind of things that I could potentially know. Uh, so I'm, I'm incredibly uh, thankful, I guess, for this particular nerdy nerddom. All right, let's, let's, let's color outside the lines here. If you had to pick one ancient civilization that was your absolute favorite, what are you going with? I'm, you know, I think I think I have a real affinity for like the the Greco-Roman tradition. Um, I think there's, you know, and maybe that's a bit of a stock answer because you know a lot of people will say that. But I have a I have a lot of fun. Um, again, you know, taking apart like government, you know, like how did the how did uh, the Roman you know monarchy work under the Etruscans versus how did the Roman Republic work versus how did the government work under Julius Caesar, you know, when he was dictator versus how did the empire work, you know, those sorts of things are really interesting. Um, uh, beyond that, I'm, I'm absolutely floored every time that I study ancient Egypt as well. I think uh, that too feels almost a little stock when you talk about ancient civilizations, but what, what you learn, you know, in, in school about ancient Egypt is literally the the most surface um thing that you yep. can learn when it comes to an ancient civilization you spend a week talking about ancient egypt and you are nowhere near the the depth um and, and enjoyment that you can have uh, studying that particular um topic there is a great um there's a great series in the great courses um i got it as an audio a book from Audible uh, a while back. I mean, it's like 24 one-hour episodes or something. It's like literally 24-hour course, um, The History of Ancient Egypt. And it's by uh, Bob Breyer, who's sort of a, a leading Egyptologist. And it is absolute, even for me, and I've studied you know, a lot of ancient Egypt, there was stuff in there that was absolutely eye-opening. Um, so again, you know, it's, it feels like, the, your quest for knowledge uh, uh, over a given time period or a given civilization never quite ends. What, what, what's what's your favorite to study, Chris? I got to go with Egypt as well. Um, I think it's such a wellspring of, like, it, as someone who's so enraptured by the the source point of everything, 
of source point of human history for for most pieces we can draw so much back to ancient egypt um you know some of the things that we take for granted today as a as an american society you you know we can draw a lot of that from greco-roman society and undoubtedly but like i think a lot of that comes from ancient egypt and and you know it's such a a source of of language of culture of history of fashion of you know art everything is is so based on i mean look at things like the washington monument and and the obelisk that that we have um you know in our nation's capital and so much of our architecture comes from egypt um i think it's just such a fascinating fascinating thing to revisit um and one of my favorite things that they've done um, you know, in X-Men comics, I love Apocalypse. I love the character of Apocalypse. I always go back to that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'd have to go with Egypt. And and one of one of my favorite nerd commendations that you've given me before we even coined the term nerd commendations is the stuff you hist- missed in history podcast. Um, you know, with with the American education system and and what they try to channel to get you to graduation get you that diploma and even in your college entry level courses there is so much i mean like it's it's the it's the it's human history it's it's the entire expanse of that so of course even in the best most curated courses you're going to miss a boatload of stuff and so like i absolutely think the world of that podcast um and so much cool stuff that i've learned from there um but ancient egypt is always my bag all righty folks there you have it what are some of your non-nerdy nerddoms hit us up on social media you can find us on twitter and instagram at nerd by word and individually at that nerd dave and at that nerd chris and after this break it is time once again for nerd nightmare so stick around Ladies and gentle people, it is a spooky season, so once again it is time for Nerd Nightmare. And in this week's Nerd Nightmare, we're diving into 2017's It. Yes, It, based on the novel by Stephen King and uh, directed by Andre Muschietti. Um, the movie stars uh, Bill Skarsgård as... Um, as Pennywise the Clown, uh, Jaden Martell, Finn Wolfhard, Sophia Lillis, Jack Dylan Grazer, uh, among many, many others. It's a great uh, ensemble piece, Wyatt Olaf and Jeremy Ray Taylor. Uh, here is a quick logline from Google. Seven young outcasts in Derry, Maine are about to face their worst nightmare, an ancient shape-shifting evil that emerges from the sewer every 27 years to prey on the town's children. Banding together over the course of one horrifying summer, the friends must overcome their own personal fears to battle the murderous, bloodthirsty clown known as Pennywise. Um, Now, obviously, this has been adapted previously into a television miniseries uh, featuring uh, Tim Curry in the role of Pennywise the Clown. Um, And there's a lot to unpack here because this also constitutes only half of Stephen King's novel with a a second movie at part two uh, dealing with the more grown-up sections as uh, the original novel actually flashes back and forth between the childhood and grown-up stages of these characters. Um, But I think uh, the movie, in this movie in particular, does a really good job standing on its own. So it is a good entry point into this whole um, story. So, Chris, I'm very interested to hear your reaction to this one. So normally I text you right after I watch it, but I intentionally did not. Because I love this movie. I love it so much. Um, How dare you sell me a horror movie? When it's really just like this coming of age tale. Why not both, Chris? Why not camaraderie both? and friendship and oh my god! I want to form our own losers club. I I love it so much. It's 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 everything. I I love everything about this movie. Um, it's absolutely great. It's I it's I'm Ah, I just love it so much. I love the characters. It's so powerful. It's so emotional. Um, Bill is that dude. I love that kid. 
um, masterfully, masterfully portrayed by Jaden Martell. Absolutely wonderful. Um, I think Sophia Lewis is a star as Beverly. I think if she doesn't get a bunch of roles going forward, I know it's been five years since this movie came out. So I hope that she's getting a bunch of stuff and she will continue because I think she really packs the punch here. Um, I knew I had seen uh, Jack Dylan Grazer before and he's in Shazam. I knew I had seen him before. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Um, but yeah, I, I love everything about this movie. I think it's really powerful. Um, it, there's just so much here to unpack that I don't know that I can do it justice in this short amount of time. But this was just a really powerful, emotionally impactful film that I did not expect at all. You know, through all the window dressing of this, this horror movie of the scary clown and packaging. And um, it's, it's a lot. And I was thoroughly surprised and impressed and, and was really happy walking away from this movie. Did you find it uh, particularly scary? No, not really. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm proud to say that I think I'm, 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 you know, growing and evolving. Um, after Insidious, nothing really scares me. <laughs> it's the jump scares. I know it's the jump scares now. And so there was one jump scare. I think it was when he came out of the mirror in this movie that maybe jumped a little bit, but nothing was really scary. Also, you know, with with this movie being such such an influence on like pop culture and memes and references a lot of the mystique had kind of been wiped away. Um, I had heard these quotes a thousand different times in different scenarios. So I think that probably was part of it. Um, I don't know if nerd nightmare next year needs to evolve on like a new film or what have you, but I think, um, I, it, so I, nothing really took me by surprise or scared me so much. This, this film. Yeah, maybe we just need to go like more uh, low key, like under the radar kind of horror movies and the kind of the kind of weird crap that I tend to watch that isn't necessarily horribly mainstream. Um, but yeah, I'm a big fan of this movie as well. Um, I think it it definitely did a really good job uh, adapting um, Stephen King's uh, novel. Uh, there's some stuff in Stephen King's novel that's really icky. Um, and you can tell that he must either, you know, drinking heavily or on drugs at the time. Um, the core of what's really good about this movie is obviously there, but it also does some stuff that is, you know, just not good. <laughs> and so seeing uh, a book that I've always liked with reservations kind of distilled into what make what sort of the best parts of it, I think. And uh, to me, the childhood stuff is the best part of the novel. Um, and the coming of age stuff is the best part of the novel. It's the most resonant. And then taking that and really honing in on it and then and then kind of wrapping it in this Pennywise story, I think was a really, really great approach to the material. Um, and you can tell that this is the strongest stuff too, because it part two, although well put together itself, is not nearly as resonant as part one. Um, and once you move on to these uh, characters as grown-ups, it doesn't quite resonate as strongly as it does when you're looking at the sort of coming-of-age story. And so um, I, I, I almost am fine not revisiting part two just because I love part one so much and it feels in a lot of ways like a complete story. Um, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of this movie as well, man. I, it, what I really appreciated about it too is with period pieces like this, you rarely get this level of commitment to the bit, if that makes sense. Um, down to the fact that like the movies that were playing in the cinema were were like pretty dead on accurate. You had um, Nightmare on Elm Street Five, which released in '89. You had Batman, um, and so like that was pretty cool to see like that level of commitment. Yeah, yeah, it fit, man. Yeah, and uh, I think a really good way to wrap up Nerd Nightmare this year, I think. Yeah, so we colored outside the lines. This is releasing on November the 1st, but this is when Last Dash leftover nightmare. Which means that next week we're returning to uh, nerd commendations. Let me tell you, I have been reading some weird crap, guys. So it's going to be one of those. 
Alrighty, folks, there you have it. Uh, this is another episode of the Nerd by Word podcast, episode 126. We hope you enjoyed your stay with us this week. If you like what you heard, please find us on your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, give us a rating and review and subscribe so you never miss another episode. You can find us on pretty much every podcasting platform imaginable. And of course, on our very own website, nerdbyword.com. And hit us up on social media, Twitter and Instagram at nerdbyword. Uh, follow that link to the socials, uh, that the link that's posted in the socials for more fun, like our Discord server to talk about your own nerd commendations, uh, to react to shows as you're watching them. Uh, find out our cool merch stuff on Redbubble and TeePublic. You can also find us individually, Twitter and Instagram, that nerd Dave, that nerd Chris. Um, and as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.